Good morning, church family. I invite you to turn open in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15, and as you're, as you're turning there, uh, yes, I appreciate Jimmy's comment there that we are uh, collecting money for the shipping of the boxes of uh, Operation Christmas Child. As you saw from the video that John showed, uh, it takes quite a journey, these boxes, and so uh, the cost of getting those boxes to kids uh, is so important across the world, and of course, the most important part of that box is not what the physical part of what's in those boxes, but it's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord is our salvation, and sending that message out to the world is truly an honor to be a part of uh, Operation Christmas Child. And of course, here at home, we want to make sure that we take care of God's house. And so the Faith Forward campaign has over $300,000 uh, that we have um, pledged. So great job. We're about 60 to 62% of the way there. Uh, we are still taking pledge cards. So if you have not yet had the opportunity to put a pledge in for the refurbishment of our uh, facilities here, uh, please do so. You can uh, drop them in these uh, boxes down here, these uh, baskets, or you can, there's a, there's a uh, plastic box in the fellowship hall and even in the church office. Uh, so with all of that said, turn uh, in your Bibles to Revelation 15, and if you're able to please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read verse, uh, verses 1 through 8, the entire chapter of, uh, uh, of chapter 15, and uh, this is how it begins. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given by them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Father, this is your word. Lord, we open it up this morning and we ask that you will reveal the truth of it to us as we anticipate that end time. Lord, we know that you are the only one who knows when the Son will return to this earth. I pray, Lord, that you will find us ready, prepared, waiting for the Son of God. As we read through this chapter in 16, Lord, we will learn the, the completion of your wrath upon the earth 
and the hope that comes from this second coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are, uh, as you've seen this chart, this timeline over the last uh, several weeks now. Uh, we are sitting in the church age, but as we have marched through Revelation here, we have seen the three series of judgments that have been poured out upon the earth during the seven-year tribulation. As you recall, we opened up with the first seven seals and then the seven trumpets, and then came the middle of the week, that period of time when God was setting everything up for the final three and a half years. Last week, we looked at the beast out of the sea, which is the Antichrist, the beast out of the earth, which is the false prophet, and of course, the dragon is the one that is empowering them to take over the, the rest of those who live on the earth. And of course, they use this idea of a mark, some way in which would restrict people from being able to buy and sell unless they were to worship the beast out of the sea, the Antichrist. And so now we come to the third series of judgments that God is preparing to pour out on the earth, these bold judgments. In chapter 15, just eight verses, though, prepares us uh, in a very powerful way. And so I just want to walk through that uh, briefly with you. Uh, first of all, we see the number seven here uh, repeated eight times in this chapter. Eight verses and eight times the word seven appears. Let's not miss that. I don't want to make too much of numerology, but it is a real fact within biblical prophecy that seven means completeness or perfection. Secondly, I want us to see that God's wrath is completed. Notice what it says there in verse 1. I saw in heaven another great marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. Now, the word completed means, uh, in the Greek, it's tetelestai, tetelestai. Interestingly, this is where uh, John says that the, the Lord's wrath upon the earth will be completed. It will be finished. There will be an end to God's wrath upon the world. And it's interesting that this word, tetelestai, is the same word that Jesus used as he hung on the cross and he said in John 19.34, it is finished. Just as Jesus completed the mission for which God sent him as a babe in a manger, so God's wrath will be completed here towards the end of Revelation. In addition to that, it says here that this, uh, you see this sea of glass mixed with fire, and then those gathered around are those who were victorious over the beast's image and his number. And they held harps given them. So if you've ever had this crazy, you know, the idea of us having harps in heaven, uh, well, it comes right here from chapter 15. Uh, these people who had overcome the mark of the beast and they had been redeemed from the earth, I would imagine that that happened in chapter 14 as we spoke last week. These are those who are reaped from the earth, those who did not uh, take the mark of the beast. And so then we launch into verse 3. It's interesting. And they sang the song of Moses. 
and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Now, it's interesting because Anne-Marie mentioned the fact that Moses was a songwriter, and he was in Exodus 15 and, in, and again in Deuteronomy. He write, Deuteronomy, I think it's 33, where he wrote a song. So Moses is a songwriter, you see, and he wrote a song after God had delivered them from Egypt. In fact, Moses is a type of Jesus Christ. There are at least 50 ways in which Jesus, Moses is a forerunner or a foreshadower of Jesus Christ, a lesser and less complete version, but he does a lot of what Jesus does, and it's interesting. We see it throughout the entire Old Testament. Let me give you just a few of them. First of all, Moses was a deliverer. As Emory said, the Lord is our salvation. Moses was sent by God to deliver the people from bondage of slavery. That's what he did. He delivered God's people from the bondage of slavery. Jesus was sent to deliver us from the bondage of sin. In addition to that, Moses was a prophet. It says in Deuteronomy 18 that he is a prophet, but one greater than him will come. Jesus was a prophet. Why? Because Moses spoke the word of God. When Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. But when God gave Moses the law, Jesus then took the law in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus himself would say, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so we see here that Jesus is a fully, uh, uh, fully manifested Moses. In addition to that, Moses himself would be the mediator between God and the Israelite people. Over and over and over in the Exodus story, we see that Moses himself uh, will mediate on behalf of the people. Well, we understand that Jesus Christ is our mediator between God and man. He is our great high priest. Moses, of course, is born of the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. And, of course, his older brother Aaron was the first high priest. But, of course, Jesus Christ is the ultimate high priest, our great high priest, who entered into the heavenly tabernacle. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. And then finally, it is Moses who would take the people and allow God to provide for them. Do you remember in the desert, God provided for them manna, manna from heaven. And they named it manna because that word literally means, what is it? What is this? And so they gave, God gave them manna from heaven during Moses' time of guidance. But it's interesting that Jesus himself in, in the Gospel of John said, the true manna has come from heaven, and that is myself. That's why he refers to himself as the bread of life, the true manna from heaven. And then finally, Moses, of course, leads them to the plains of Moab, and they get to see the promised land. And Jesus Christ is the one who will lead all of those who are his into the promised land we call heaven. So you see that Moses is a type of Christ. And you see this song that they sing, great and marvelous are your deeds. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been 
revealed. So we see there the threefold way in which we worship God. He, it is his, his works, his deeds, his ways, and of course, his person. We see that in this song is reflected the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the promise that he is coming again. And when he comes again, he will gather all to himself. And so we see there that this is God's plan in Revelation 15. But then I want you to see this heavenly tabernacle there in verse 5. After this, I looked, and in heaven, do you get that? In heaven, the temple. Folks, I don't know about you, but the first time I ever laid my eyes on this passage and, and just had a thought to think about what heaven was like, and to know that there is a heavenly tabernacle, that, that everything that happens on this earth is a shadow. It's a copy of what's already in heaven. It's a beautiful picture of how God sees his plan unfolding here on earth that has already been declared in heaven. Look at what it says there in Hebrews 8.5. They serve as what they, meaning the tabernacle, serve as a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Moses to be at the top of that mountain with God and for God to lay out his blueprint to literally show him what is in heaven and give him all the dimensions, all of the materials, all of the precious jewels that were to uh, comprise the house of God for him to dwell with his people. It's fascinating. In Hebrews 8, it's telling us that the earthly tabernacle is just a copy or a shadow. It is disappearing, but the one in heaven never disappears. Remember back in chapter 11 of Revelation, we noted that the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven as well. And then look at this verse of Scripture from 924 of Hebrews. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that were only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Can you, can you just gather the thought that Jesus entered this heavenly tabernacle as a precursor to his coming to the earth, that the earth was a fulfillment of what already had been declared and performed in heaven. And we get to see here in Revelation 15 this amazing declaration that this heavenly tabernacle is still there, and it will be there forever and ever and ever. You know, as we walk into chapter 16 then, we have to recognize that chapter 15 is like chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation. Shows us the throne room of heaven, and then the judgment of God is poured out on the earth. I won't read all of this, but verse 1 of chapter 16 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of wrath on the earth. And so we see here the seven bowls. Let's look at them quickly. First bowl is ugly, painful sores. If you remember anything about the plagues that Moses oversaw God pouring out on the Egyptians 
uh, one of the plagues was boils, and that's what's happening here in the first bowl. We also see in the second bowl that the sea, the oceans, the salt water of the earth are turned to blood. And then the third bowl, we see that the rivers and springs are turned to blood. So think about this. Uh, The blood uh, plague was the first plague over Egypt, interestingly. And then, of course, we see the blood in the oceans and the rivers and springs. Now, I don't know if you know this, but 70% of the earth's surface is covered in water. 70% of our earth is covered in water. The vast majority of it, 97%, is salt water, leaving only 3% of fresh water. Did you realize that only 1% of the earth's fresh water produces everything that we need for drinking and sustaining our lives? I believe that what God is doing here is He is showing just how fragile we are without His abundant provision. And it's interesting here that there is a reason why the blood. We ask the question, why the blood? But can you imagine what it must be like in this time, in the future, when the oceans turn blood red and everything in them dies? And and the fresh water, the streams and the rivers turn blood, blood red Well, they show this by the angels saying in verse 5, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed, here it is, the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. What a horrific judgment but one that is just, one that is true, and then one will come. And of course, in verse 7, he says, And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So now we go to the fourth. The fourth one says this, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But get this, they refused to repent and glorify Him. The sun's heat will be turned up to a level that they cannot survive. They will be scorched by it. There's no amount of sunscreen you can wear to overcome the judgment of God. But I see here a a picture of the human condition at this point in the tribulation, that they will blaspheme God, that they will curse God, that they will yell and shake their fist at God. They will not repent, even though repentance is near. And so, therefore, we see that this is a a horrific judgment. And then the sixth angel pours out his bowl. Understand that the bowl judgments are coming at a fast pace. Because we see here that they actually still have pains and sores when the fifth angel pours out his bowl. And then, of course, the sixth angel pours out his bowl, verse 12, on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. I would imagine that the sun did a lot of that. 
And then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So we see here that these demonic spirits now come out of the mouth of this unholy trinity, the dragon, which is Satan, the beast out of the sea, which is the Antichrist, and the beast out of the earth, which is the false prophet. All three of them are coercing and even inciting and inviting kings of the earth to come and take their stand against this holy God to what? To gather them together for the battle on that great day. That's what it says. And so it declares that they are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, counterfeit signs that kind of tempt and lure them in. That's why when Kathy read Ezekiel chapter 37 earlier, we saw the, the nations that are involved, Gog, Magog, Persia. You know what Persia is? Persia was Iran up until 1935, and then after 1935, it's been Iran. But Persian is, Persia is Iran. And Put and Libya and Cush, all of them are in northern Africa. And Togarma is modern-day Turkey. And so we see these nations. You, it's, just, it's amazing. As we're walking through Revelation, what is happening over in the Middle East is playing out before our very eyes. We just saw the Turkish king actually say uh, something uh, against the Israelite people. Do you understand? God's people are surrounded on all sides by those who want to annihilate them exterminate them from the globe. And we see that here is what's happening. They are gathering these kings from the north and from the west and from the east and from the south, and they are gathering to this place that we call Armageddon. And so Armageddon is this place. Look at what it says in verse 15 first before we get to Armageddon. Behold, this is Jesus speaking in my Bible. It's red letter. I hope it's red letter in your Bible as well. It says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. This is Jesus Christ speaking and saying, The time has come. And blessed are you if you stay awake. Blessed. One of the seven blessings throughout the book of Revelation, here is one of them. And he says, blessed are you if you stay awake. Jesus refers to his second coming as coming like a thief in the night. Many of you uh, had Mark chapter 13 in your Bible study this morning. I don't put all this together. God does. But you were studying Mark chapter 13, and in Mark chapter 13 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is answering the disciples' question, when, what will be the signs of your coming? And it's interesting that here he says, I will come like a thief. When people are just like in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Noah, when everybody is drinking and being merry, then the, the Lord's judgment will come. The same is true here. And then in verse 16, it says this, Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, for most, of, um, uh, most people that I talk to, they think of Armageddon as a great battle, a great ending battle, the final battle between good and evil, between God and the nations of the earth that are rebelling against him under the leadership of Antichrist and the false prophet. 
and the forces, the demonic forces behind them. But Armageddon is not a battle. It is a place. You can go see it. In fact, many people who take tours over to Israel, this is one of the stops. They go to Har Megiddo. Har meaning mound or tell. A tell is a place that has been built up over many, many, many generations. It's been built up because it's a great place to build a fortress when you're going into battle against your enemies. And so the, the Har Megiddo is actually a place just north of Jerusalem in the Valley of Jezreel. If you go and look at the back of your Bible and you look at the map, you'll see the Valley of Jezreel, which is uh, also the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And so we see here that all of this is building up to the time of the end. And I want to make sure we're clear here. This chapter and verse, verses six, verse 16 of chapter 16, is not, is not the battle. The battle doesn't take place until chapter 19 when the Lord returns. Because it says here, then they gathered the kings together. They were gathering for this great battle. It hasn't happened yet. And then it says this seventh angel, of course, pours out its bowl on the earth. And so, of course, the day of the Lord is coming, but it hasn't come yet. But the judgment of God, the wrath of God has been completed. Look at what it says there in verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Twice now that we have read in chapter 15 and again in chapter 16. It is done finished. It is done. The judgment of God, the wrath of God has been poured out. And where is it poured out? On that great city. Look at what it says in verse 19. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. And so we see here that that great city, now many scholars have weighed in on what is this great city. Some say it's Jerusalem in accordance with uh, 11.8, Revelation 11.8, where it's referred to as the great city. Others think of it as Babylon, because it's mentioned in chapter 14, verse 8, as Babylon, the great city. And also in chapter 17, verse 19, you can flip over there and it says, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And of course, the context of 17 would indicate that it's Babylon. I, I tend to think it's Babylon, but I can be swayed either way. It doesn't specify, but what God does say is that there will be a tremendous earthquake that will split the city into three parts. You know, when Kathy read Ezekiel chapter 38 earlier, and I told you that they were gathering the armies from all of these different nations, these enemy nations of Israel, this is fulling, fulfilling uh, end-time prophecy. Ze Ezekiel, that's why the kids sang, these are the days of Ezekiel. You, you remember what they said? So it's interesting how all this fits together. 
We are living in the days of Elijah. We are living in the days of Ezekiel when God will bring to consummation everything that he had divinely appointed. And so we see here the playing out of this tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, and the people are being called on to repent. After all, God dis- uh, he dispatched his angel, a mighty angel, to proclaim the gospel, the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, what did they do? They responded by cursing God and blaspheming God and not repenting of their evil works. And so the Babylon destruction is sure. We will study that next week when we read Revelation 17 and 18. But just to kind of level set our understanding of this and how closely related chapter 16 of Revelation is to the prophecy of Ezekiel, who wrote, uh, friends, back in the 500s B.C., It's amazing that God's wrath is mentioned in both passages. So is this great earthquake and the mountains being thrown down and the plague that will come and the great hailstones that will fall on men. I will tell you, when I see, (coughs) I'm sorry, uh, Ezekiel coming to pass, (coughs) it gives me a great fuel for my faith. When God's word which we sit under every single Sunday, and hopefully every single day as you open it up in your personal study. I'm convinced that we are sitting at a time when God is going to sift us, and He's going to really challenge us to know His Word. Friends, if you believe that you're going to have your Bible and you're going to be able to read it and I'm telling you, we're, we're facing a generation right now that wants nothing to do with God's Word. But as long as I have breath, I will preach it unabashedly, unashamedly, because it is the eternal truth. And when I see passages like Ezekiel 38 being so fulfilled in Revelation 16, I just think to myself, hallelujah, what a Savior. Jesus came the first time to lay down his life for you and me. To be the atonement, the covering for our sin. His blood was spilled for you and I. And until that time, when he returns again in power and great glory, this time not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king, the king of kings and lord of lords, let him find us ready. Let him find us watchful as we enter into this time of sharing in the Lord's Supper. Won't you stand with me and sing these first two verses of only trust him, only trust him. As I pray, Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, the written word because it is the truth of your plan of redemption for all mankind. 
but Lord, for the living word who himself went to the cross and shed his blood and gave his body for us. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace upon us. Thank you for leading us in a powerful, powerful way. Help us to understand your word more uh, faithfully. Help us to study it more earnestly. And help us to share it by means of the gospel more boldly. In Jesus' name I 